0: What's the emotion? What's the innovation? What are you bringing to to the table? Like, don't just copy the other games out there. The biggest games out there, they did something new, you know. And if you want to achieve their levels, then you also have to give something new to the table. And you need to understand on an emotional level, connect with your players on, you know, what is what is a good gameplay. Not
1: only let's just copy this, 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 and put it together, so to say. Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rising Play podcast. In the show. I sit down with influential thought leaders of the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best team and company cultures in order to create the best games. Every episode brings actionable insight to improve your leadership, self-awareness, and emotional management skills. Because becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. So are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin! This episode has been brought to you by our sponsor Appideal, an all-in-one growth platform for mobile app creators of any size. While you have probably heard about Appideal as a mediation solution, it has already expanded into much more than that. Appideal unlocks access to a new generation of advanced business intelligence tools, including LTV forecasting, user acquisition and creative automation, and of course, the mediation platform that can work out of the box or be managed manually. Being one of the very few independent platforms left in the market, AppaDeal delivers unbiased solutions for mobile app creators to establish and scale their businesses rapidly. Sign up at AppaDeal.com. Today, I am sitting with Marie Meyerval for an on-site recording in my home studio. So Marie, has an amazing track record actually in games. That's why I was so excited to have her on the podcast. And she started in eSports in 2001 and in game development in 2008 and has been involved in both ever since. During her career, she worked as studios such as Ubisoft, Warner Bros., Eidos and Capcom and climbed all the way to become a game director. Today, she is an advisor to game studio, publishers and eSports company and he is also a popular host and speaker at events. So hi, Marie. Very pleased to have you here. Thank you for
0: inviting me and thank you for the nice introduction. I guess it's been a while. I guess I've done a bunch of stuff by now. I just feel, I just feel old, but I also feel kind of happy and thankful for all the stuff that I've been, been able to experience in my career so
1: far. So uh, my first question is what is the most exciting thing you have running at the moment?
0: Oh, there's so many exciting stuff, you know. I feel like the universe always keeps providing somehow, you know, I wasn't sure when I was getting becoming a consultant like who my clients would be. I had like, you know, a, a, a hunch it would be like a couple of game studios, but actually all kinds of companies come to me. It can be someone like, Hey, I'm doing some like generative art for game studios and I need to know like how do I market it to them? Or it can be an investor who needs some due diligence and some analysis on like, games that they're thinking to fund. Or, or a bunch of incubator programs have come and asked me to be their coach. And also actually many schools have come to me to be like, hey, we heard about your talk. You know, could you have it for our students? So what I like the most about my job, what's most exciting is. I never know what's going to come next. But I know will throw something at me, you know, and the next week you hear about something and it changes everything. And and, And the best thing about all this is
1: that I can say yes to almost everything. That's probably why you are so busy. So I was curious more about the transition because you worked at amazing company and in your career, you started as a programmer and then later like went more into game design, system design and game director. So you could have run like big teams, big projects. Uh, what was the switching point for you where you said, okay, maybe I can help several companies, be an independent worker. What was that moment and what happened for you?
0: So it was pretty many years from like the programming to the consultant. And I think like, you know, in my life I had dreams, but I'm the kind of person who think of them as goals. I always kind of wanted to be a designer. And so my first goal job was to work in games. And then the way for me to get a full-time job and actually a career in games was to go into game development and become a programmer because it's something that I could achieve from, uh, from university, from studying computer science. And you could actually, you know, eventually work your way I mean, it wasn't day one, you know, you work at Warner Brothers. No, I had to be like my first job as a programmer. Well, my first job, my, my you know, my, my thesis within online poker, the first time I was working with something game related programmer. And then eventually I could work, you know, with, I got an internship at IBM and I could work with actual, you know, like 3D games. And then eventually, I, you know, I, then I could get the job at Warner Brothers. So the first thing was just, you know, work with games and work my way towards having a a stable career job in games, a full-time job. So eventually I did my transition at a company called Funcom, and then they, they changed them to Invisio, but they were able to provide me, as you say, through AI and through kind of systems, uh, was a transition that was pretty easy for a programmer to become a designer, because it's uh, AI is, is a mix of design and programming, and it's kind of hard to separate the one one from the other. So that's really great. And then I, once I was there, and I did design a couple of years, which I, which I loved. Then I felt like it was time to grow. And I wanted to, I want to become a lead. I wanted to grow some more soft skills. I want cause I knew the actual work really well, but, I, but for me to grow as a person, I needed to learn my soft skills to, to lead a team, to reach a little further, so to say, to challenge myself. So that was the next goal to become a lead. And then the road to director was, you know, the next step and after I did that and I kind of felt okay this is as far as I think I, I can go at a game studio without starting a studio myself so to say and I'd also been working at a bunch of studios and I felt that there's so much that I've learned you know like if you go to one studio you see how they do it you go to another studio you see how they do it and you can grow pretty pretty quickly eventually uh, I just gained so much a ton of knowledge and I felt like I want to, at this point, I want to give back. I want to provide, I want to have an impact, you know, like it's not about for me just to go to another studio and make another big game, you know, like I've done my dream games. Now I try to help other studios with, with their games, you know, with their processes with, with to achieve their dreams. And that's actually really fulfilling. And so what I'm able to do now is to help many studios who are earlier on or in the first half, so to say of their game dev game, dev cycle have a really big impact. Uh, making sure that I always stay high in doing that and that's I'm kind of kind of happy doing that right now I think you know at one point I will want to go back to doing a journey of starting a studio like actually figuring all this stuff out from the beginning you know caring about wherever you're getting that the funding from and and going through the ringer of that so to say so something more like a long term journey I think that that is still somewhere on the horizon, but but for now, I'm really enjoying just like being able to travel around and help studios, and also do a lot of hosting and a lot of event stuff, which I also love.
1: I don't know if I think on top of my head, like many designers as a you know consultant or you know like working as consultant. I wonder what is like really core expertise that you offer to companies you help and how do you work with them? Like, are you usually the teams have already a designer there or are you collaborating with the designer? It's, I find it hard as a challenge where design is, uh, can be so personal for the team. And when it comes from external, how is it received? How do you work Yeah, with companies? If you can share more about your process and core expertise.
0: It always comes down to kind of what they need. It can be, you know, like support. Like I used to mentor, when I was a director, I had leads that reported to me. So I also do like lead or director support on, you know, how to more like look, look coaching, I would say, and things that they struggle with and how they communicate with their team and getting everyone aligned with the vision, for example, what kind of process they use. That's one part of it. And then I help with the vision. One thing I do is just to be like I'm just going to play the game I'm going to look at your deck and I'm just going to write a full like analysis on feedback on you know based on your creative goals what I think you guys can really improve or what you can get inspired from from other games for example. And then I have another one which is more like interactive where it's like let's do all this together let's you know through the course of your development you know when you need me at different stages I'll come in and we'll discuss the creative challenges you're facing right now, and what you feel you want to sharpen and improve a little bit more, and the things that you know that you don't know, but you don't know what they are, so to say. And mm-hmm. that's kind of where I can come in and give a lot of light and perspective. So so I do that, and then I also give knowledge workshops. So I do a lot of talking at events, but those talks I also bring to to schools or to dev teams sometimes to just expand the knowledge of their designers. and can kind of more tools in their designer toolbox in their methodology and how can kind of how they work so i do game director stuff still same things that i did but depending on who i'm helping and what their needs are at the moment it takes a couple of different shapes but it's always centered around making the game better or helping improving the team and their processes
1: talking to a lot of your clients what do you see have the pain points in design gaps these days whether it's like specific to an industry like console or games in general, or maybe different between console and mobile. So what are the gaps you see and why they need people like you, right? That they would pay for services to exactly get better. I'm curious really about that part. What are the needs?
0: So that depends a little bit. I do have some mobile experience. I was a game director for a, a studio called Legendary Play in one of their games here in Berlin, but design as a field is 85% I would say you can apply no matter if you're doing console or PC or if you're doing mobile. It's more like how you choose to apply it. The UX is the design field that changes the most, I'd say. What I see from mobile studios usually is that they're pretty focused on the data, the personas, the target audience, the statistics, and also what other games are out there and what is trending and how is that going. But what I want them to focus on usually is what's the emotion? What's the innovation? What are you bringing to to the table? Like don't just copy the other games out there. The biggest games out there, they did something new, you know? And if you want to achieve their levels, then you also have to give something new to the table. And you need to understand on an emotional level, connect with your players on, you know, what is, what is a good gameplay? Not only let's just copy this, this, this and put mm-hmm. it together. So to say, And when it comes to console PC, what they usually struggle with is to think about the whole packaging of the game. So they will think about really good, like this is the core gameplay and it's really fun. And they're really, really good at doing that. But they don't always think about, well, why would the player return to your game? You know, why would they keep playing this thing? For example, they don't, uh, sometimes they underestimate the factor of social, like playing with people socially, but having social goals together, being able to join. Clan being able to recommend each other, like all these kind of things, and be able to compare each other and leaderboards. And then the other thing is, I call it kind of retention, but the progression of hey, I don't just want to aimless have a explore your world, I want to feel like I'm achieving something, I'm building something, I'm growing in some ways, I'm coming closer to some ultimate goal, you know, that there isn't The, the time that I'm investing is actually getting me somewhere, it's not just aimless gameplay. So I think that's the stuff that they can uh, can can each learn from each other. And when it comes to VR, yeah, they're pretty limited right now with what they can do technically. Usually, VR still like smaller experiences. But what they, what they mostly need, I feel, is just to figure out what they can do with the, with their tech and with their movement, and realizing what kind of games actually fit well in VR and which doesn't, and like how do you. Move around in the world. How do you interact with the world, so to say? And there's a lot of just innovation that needs to happen on that end right now. And so some of some of the teams that I see, like their game idea from off the bat, maybe it wasn't always the best fit for VR, or they just need to kind of rethink how to how to package it all. But it's there's a lot still to figure out in VR, and that's why I think it's a lot of fun and very interesting.
1: Yeah, I didn't know you were involved as well with VR, but I guess as well the Principle in design still apply, but probably the application of it or like how you think holistically of a game has different challenges depending on the platform. How do you uh, keep growing the knowledge for you or you're even thinking in the craft as an independent worker? Because you don't work with teams or it's not like you have, I don't know, a head of design thinking about that all the time. So how do you stay on top of knowledge or the thinking around game design? It
0: changes a little bit in, in the way it happens. You know, when I was working in a studio, it would always be, let's go to GDC or let's wa- watch all these GDC talks or, you know, like sometimes reading some some articles and then all sharing with each other, you know, what, what each people learned from a different team. Of course, I can't do that anymore working for myself, but I'm always on the forefront. Like I go to maybe... 15 events per year or something like that and so i hear i'm moderating these discussions you know i'm the one talking to these experts or i'm on the panel talking alongside them usually with these things and i i see these talks and i also have talks on my own about things that i figured out so I would say now there's a natural exposure to that. And I also work with even more studios. So at the same time as I'm teaching them something, sometimes there's small bits and pieces that I'm learning from them. So I'm actually learning faster than ever now, I'd say.
1: Would you say that there are other fields that, let's say when you want to develop your thinking around design, that we can learn from that are not like purely game design, I don't know, design in general. I'm just curious, like, because again, it's a young field. For game design in particular what are other areas i don't know of of field that are inspiring for you to challenge your thinking around game design
0: i'm still learning a little bit from film there's a couple more things that you can do especially around narrative and the the drama of it all and there's something that i call like beats and intensity and it's kind of like how you make an enjoyable experience you know for films there used to be something called the black cat, and it's kind of a book based on how you build down the climax and then there's some hills and then there's some valley you know that kind of stuff and this is something that I'm still learning and trying to bring more into games how can you how can you make sure your experience is not too intense all the time and that it's burning out you know your players by just being so energy consuming how can you make sure that the you know you have these kind of exciting highs, for example a boss fight but that you then can chill out a little bit afterwards, you know, maybe people can explore an area, for example, before they move on in their own pace. So not only like in film, this is one recipe that they serve you because everyone's watching the same film, but in games, it's like, how do we apply this for different types of personality who have different energy or preference in how they, you know, like to consume games and how can we make sure that the same one game is adaptable for everyone. So I'm going to give another example. I play a lot of eSport games and it's important for me that it's both game with are this is the hardcore high intensity. I need to be focused. I need to play at the top of my ability. But then also that there's some games that are more cash and more chill. I can do them warm up or I can do them late at night when I feel like I don't have the focus anymore to really play at, play at my best. So it's like, how do we adapt those games to really give an enjoyable experience? And the film is, I think that one of the inspirations
1: there. Yeah, film is uh, probably the most interactive or closest to what we have in games. Yeah, one more thing I think also, worth mentioning mention is probably theme parks.
0: You know, mm. like theme parks have been around for a very long time. I mean, I, I've done a, a theme park game, I worked on Rollercoaster Tycoon World. But there, you know, I haven't actually been to, for example, Disneyland, I've been to Six Flags. But you know, just going in there and the kind of thought of like the whole like, experience you're getting, You know, like that would be interesting to bring that into
1: into games to make sure that everyone feels seen. And so you mentioned as well, you enjoying playing eSports and I was curious to ask about it because I'm not familiar at all with eSports, nor have I played. So I was just curious, uh, what is your involvement in eSports as a player or professional? And what do you find there like exciting, interesting as a designer? Esports actually started
0: for me before I figured out how to work in games, before I became a reviewer. It started before I had my TV show. It started before I got into game development. So esports, I would say, I mean, games was the first love and then esports was my second love, I'd say. I was only like a teenager when I started with esports in 2001. We were all teenagers, (laughs) everyone who did esports at the time, pretty much. And since then, I've, you know, like, I've had such an interesting journey. First, I was... I had a high early on in my esports career, you could say. I was one of the leaders behind Femina United, and we were the world's biggest community for female gamers. We had a new site. We were doing tournaments. I was doing, uh, hosting the Construct tournaments at DreamHack twice per year for you know until two thousand ten or something like that. And it was really intense, yeah, back in the days, and you didn't you didn't sleep much, but it was fun and I loved it. And then since I kind of started with games sometimes it's been more busy and less busy so i've been always doing some esports but sometimes i took a short break and it's kind of shifted as well and also within the esports whatever game is popular can shift every now and then not a lot of games have been there for 20 years for example so i i started with a lot of counter-strike i had i had my own team and i organized wow. tournaments and then two thousand and. 10, 11, I got into StarCraft a little bit and I was helping, I was an admin the first time they did, they brought you back to Montreal and they were hosting the StarCraft tournament there, I was helping out. Um, But for a long time, I got into Smite. I still play Smite, (laughs) I still play Smite ranked again. And where I started as, you know, there was a clan that became kind of a big community that just kind of grew and I became some sort of influencer. And I I had a YouTube show where I spoke about, you know, gameplay every week that's really fun i loved it and then i there was a talent show called so you think you can cast so i i got into that i didn't get into the top 10 i got like 12th or something like that but i started casting for an amateur network instead it called my central for a while and i was getting pretty good at it you know i was as a you know kind of good student i eventually grew to be an analyst which is the one who is the expert. So instead of just commentating, everything's happening on screen. I was actually the expert speaking about the tactics and the strategies and that kind of stuff. And several teams actually asked me to coach them. So eventually I also became a coach for a top 12 North American team that almost made the pro league. It was really close. It was like lost the finals to get up there. And that was really fun. But then I became um, a manager more or less at work. And I also moved shifted my time zone. It was around when Capcom closed down. And I had to kind of leave North America and go back to Europe. So I had to leave that behind a little bit. So now I'm still playing eSports. I'm actually advising an esport company right now. They're trying to grow eSports in Northern Africa. And I do a lot of hosting as well in eSports and eSports conferences. So I do a little bit of everything, but I think there's room for me to do something more within eSports, either within you know female eSports or just eSports broadly or get back to Counter-Strike. I'm not sure. I'm really enjoying hosting right now, but, but I'd love to work even more with esports because esports just love esports life.
1: I wanted to ask, uh, how big is the presence of women in esports? Is that popular for women? Is it safe? Uh, like I, I may ask, like if you go to esports and w- what's the situation these days? It's not safe. <laughs> mm. I can say that. It, there's always a lot of harassment. There was um,
0: there was a story recently about Kill Creek. I think her name is Casey, and she was the world's first female eSports professional. She started in 1997 with Quake, more or less, and her story was just crazy about the stuff that she had to endure, and she just spoke out because she's like, this is still happening and nothing has changed, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: more or less, and it's the same thing that I'm feeling, you know, like I did tournaments back in 2003 or four, is when we started doing it, and still like people are struggling and scraping together to make some female tournaments It's starting to happen. Like the last year started to happen a little bit more and especially in, for example, CSGO and Valorant, but there's still a big need to support the female scene because there's so much toxicity that are directed against the gender of women and we need to get rid of that. Recently there was a little experiment that was being done in Spain where they took two or three top players. And they gave them voice distorters so that they uh, sounded female. So first they were playing as themselves and they were doing really well. And they had really, you know, top, top performance of their team. But then when they changed their voices, suddenly the team was cursing at them. They were not helping them. They were on their own and they were underperforming, you know, it kept getting flame. And And this just kind of shows that it's not... First of all a lot of women are just going to turn away from this so it's killing the the base of the pyramid of female esports when i started playing back in the early 2000s like people would if they hear if i suddenly speak up in my in, in the voice chat then either i would get flamed or I, people would ask me for my number or people would just start being like oh i'm just going to go around this woman and protect her from everything and i'm just can, can you just play normally you know I don't feel like women can compete and play and grow to become good players on equal terms because of all the stuff that they have to endure to stay in eSports. And I think we need to create more safe spaces, but we also need to give more visibility and opportunity to those girls who are there to make sure that we break what's a minority today to become more normal. Mm -hmm. And we also put more role models out there and show the way for
1: the future generation. And is that uh, for what you describe? Is that part of your motivation or your angle on how you would like to approach esports going forward?
0: I mean, I, I so I've been I've been also been hosting male tournaments in esports, so I'm happy to do either. You know, I've been coaching male teams, so I'm happy to work with any gender. <laughs> also like non-binary, you know, but but I definitely try to get myself up there. You know, ask someone who has been in eSports for so long. Like I try to make myself visible and be a role model as much as I can and bring the knowledge that I can and the support that I can, because I can endure all this, you know, but not everyone can. There was someone called Leon and she actually was the first woman who won a Hearthstone World Championship. And she, eventually she quits because she's like, it's just too much, so mm-hmm. to say. So I, I try to be there and take some of these hits and, and, you know, lift them up whenever they feel a little bit down. So it's, it's definitely, like, one of the stuff that I take upon myself, but I'm happy to work with esports in, in every way, shape, or form, for sure. Yeah. I will say one thing, you know, like, you know, I can at the end of end of it keep getting, you know, leadership positions, keep pushing this, but big chunk of the problem is that there's a lot of, uh, you know, young gamers out there who are alienating these girls coming up and they're not listening to me. Mm. They're listening to their male role models.
1: And so I need some help from those to, yeah. to turn this around. Uh, that's a good message and reminder then through this conversation, how everyone's listening. And same observation as well in design, because I remember as well when I was building my team looking for designers, my God, it was really a challenge to have even like among candidates on a senior level, women, for example, as designer. So... What are your observations here, and why is there such a gap, especially in design? I found, like, compared to, I don't know, art or well, programming. Let's not even get there, but design is also kind of still very male-dominated profession for some reason.
0: There are a lot of similarities, I would say, but it's also a little bit of a different, some differences too, when it comes to you know between esports and in game dev. I think. Programming, for example, used to be only be women who did it until they kind of realized that, you know, this technical, smart and cool was actually something, you know, like the men should do. So when I grew up in the 90s, there were all these, you know, on the computer ads or whatever. It was always a little boy looking at them, so to say. But there is something underlying, you know, social culture programming saying that you're not, you're not as good. And I think that hinders women to, for example, apply for a position where it feels like they're not filling all the all the requirements this is of course a cliche but it's it it, it works that way it is that way and I, and i and, and you know i've seen it too so we need to change the language of our uh, job ads and you know m- instead of making them huge checklists where you know someone <laughs> a guy might apply if they you know they do 70% and a woman's be like oh i only did 90 no let's not we need to change the language of that be a little bit more focused on okay these are the core requirements and then it's also kind of up to the person and then seeing what they what they can offer because when you talk to them you realize oh there is a lot of here that women might not even know realize that they can do and what they what they can bring to a team and i think traditionally soft skills is something that women and, and being very organized is something that women have been pretty good at and it's something that hasn't been premiered really highly when you recruit someone even though it does bring something to the team There's a lot of of this stuff that happens in other industries too, happening in games. For example, a woman comes with an idea and no one cares, but then the man repeats it and then he gets the credit. All this stuff still happens. You know, I've had situations at work where I'm like, I'm even doing the female thing. I'm bringing everyone together. We're all aligning on this change that we want to do, on this improvement. And then at the end of it, after sitting there for 30 minutes, this one guy says, but do we really need it? And then I see all the other guys, Oh, yeah, maybe we don't need it. Well, if we don't really need it, then maybe, we should, you know, and I'm just like, no, and I'm just sitting there, you know, trying to improve this one thing. And eventually we did do the thing and it really improved the game. Depending on who says something and what kind of impact it gets, there's some cultural social programming that is there. And the fact that there are currently, you know, like a majority of men is kind of work snowballing and working against women to kind of come up there. We need to just bring more awareness of these kind of structures and these dynamics in the workplace is one and then number two to consider more women for for promotion like i've seen people with half my experience get promoted past me i've always been really passionate about mentorship programs for example when i worked at jagex in the uk i i was co-leading the diversity group there it was first the women's group but then we just expanded because normally women always makes it better for everyone if they (laughs) get in charge so to say and so we we really try to change, to make these things better and kind of look at these things. And the stuff that I thought was most impactful is that we, we needed to implement mentorship programs and, and have those role models and support each other. Because you see all these women isolated and we meet and we're facing the same thing, but we rarely talk about it. And we mm-hmm. need to kind of be there and support each other and give each other perspective to
1: hold each other up, so to say, when needed. Yeah, it's a reality that the more we are aware about it, and the more we can take a step back and rethink, like exactly how, for example, promotion, because this is what is capping the seniority to see indeed more women in leadership position and not only in organizational role or, you know, in the people side or HR side or like assistant roles as we see uh, many. And I had the question as well, like in your own career, because you have been also growing quite fast. How did promotion happen for you? you've been in an environment mm-hmm. where those challenges existed. Is it from your initiative or from people who have helped you? What happened?
0: I want, I want to spend, uh, continue a little bit on the previous, uh, mm-hmm. thing that we're talking about. And I'll also tell you companies are hierarchical, mm. but when you see women organize themselves, are they hierarchical? They're not so at a base, this thing, and then also competing for a promotion competing, is that female? No. No, it's not. So so the structures, the whole structure of it all is already patriarchal. So the women who need to survive and succeed and get promoted within this system need to act like the guys, basically. So we need to rethink how we organize our studios a little bit, but, but most of all we need to see what what skills are really needed, both soft skills and hard hard skills and what can each person bring to the role and what actually helps the group to have the best dynamic, because it's not always who is the best at solving this technical problem, for example. So that's that's one thing I'd say. When it comes to my case, I usually got promoted, either there was a, a woman there who was supporting me, or there was a male ally that was was supporting me or I simply shifted my studio. So for example, when I had someone promoted past me with half my experience, I said, okay, that's it. <laughs> I'm moving I'm <rude laughs> on and I'm, I'm finding someone who will, you know, actually appreciate my experience and my talents. And, but since I did become a leader, it's been going pretty quickly and it's felt it was a natural you know even when i was in the mid 2000s i was leading alliances for example in the mmo rpg games so the leadership was always there i just needed to once i got into that position yeah it went it went pretty quickly i'd say for me which was lucky but you need good people around you and i was also not very shy to do whatever change that i thought was needed i just took the initiative and just did stuff and got people aligned and uh, grew as a person as i was also growing growing my teams pretty quickly so it's I think I, I, I was lucky enough both to have the support from others uh, and also my natural talent, but then also to realize when it was time to find someone who w- who would appreciate me, so to say, and what I could bring.
1: Yeah, I like the um, second anecdote where, unfortunately, you cannot change the environment and the structure of power that exists. And if it's a cap for you, I think like at least from other uh, testimonials, you have to create the opportunity for yourself and that's what you did right taking like control of your destiny and going to places where it will be valued and appreciated so i wanted to ask more reflection questions about your whole career so far like among all the companies you worked at or even like in your independent work right now what is the toughest time you could remember of but that also gave you a big learning like in your career life for me, it
0: was when when Capcom closed down, honestly. It happened overnight, over a day. You know, it was just really sudden. It's like you get invites to go to the, to the big restaurant, to the kitchen or something like that, like a huge bunch of people. You kind of sense that something's not, not right here, so to say. And the hard part there was that I had recently moved to Vancouver, so I did not have a huge network. I'd only been there for six months. And the industry there had been shrinking a little bit lately. So it was not able to absorb everyone who who got laid off, so to say. So I actually had to be like, what do I do now? And I couldn't make any sort of informed or, you know, career choice that I had, you know, planned carefully or deliberately in any way. I had to just kind of take whatever I could get in a, a, a somewhat short time period, so to say. I ended up moving to the UK, working for, for Jagex, which turned out... To Pretty good i could i felt like i had a good impact on that studio i felt like i learned a couple of things as well and I met a lot of nice people too and it was a different position for me because i came as one of the more experienced people to the team and actually like was able to you know provide as much as, as much as i could to, to the game and how how things were being done so it was it ended up pre- pretty well but it was really rough having to leave vancouver that i really loved not knowing where to go next going to UK where I never thought I'd move to the UK was not my first choice let's say that but it ended up being a pretty good experience I'd say so from everything bad eventually comes usually something good
1: my last question for uh, today this evening is what are you looking forward to uh, next uh, so here we are end of the year you've been traveling a lot this year we talked a, a little bit about it personally but what are your next steps for the end of the year or beginning of next year I have no idea, and that's what's so exciting. Of course,
0: there are a couple of conferences that I will very likely go to again next year and a couple of others that I've been speaking to. I know there's a bunch of clients who I met this year who are like, we would love to have you help us with our game, but we can't do it right now. We need to wait for our next budget or we need to go through this phase or something like that. So I'm excited for that, but but I'm excited not knowing always what's gonna happen, honestly. And so I just keep doing stuff that I love and, and being visible, being on stage and meeting people and helping people. And somehow by doing that stuff, it just gives me more of the stuff. So I'm just looking forward to being surprised myself, but I know I'll do something cool at least.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks Marie for uh, joining the conversation today. It was fun and having us with someone on site is always like a fun experience for me. So thanks for sharing your journey and yeah, your thoughts today.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, thank you also everyone
1: who listened and keep tuning in next time for Rise and Play. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am trying to grow a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. So if you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. Also, please don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on future content. Every episode is packed with actionable insights that will help you improve your leadership skills now. And if you are interested in learning more on the topics that we discussed today, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io and there you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership. So have a great week and until the next time,